Amen. We love you too. Yeah, give God praise. Um, we'll just let you know we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of our altar uh, call this morning, our invitation. And so those of you that are watching on Facebook, if you want to participate with us, it would be a good time to gather the elements at home. If you have uh, bread, crackers, and juice or whatever, and you can participate with us. We'll leave the live stream going, and uh, the deacons will come up, and we'll serve each one of you. Then the deacons, uh, I'll serve the deacons, and then they'll serve me. And uh, between now and then, this is a time for the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And uh, uh, so if there's anything that we need to lay down at the foot of the cross uh, before we take communion, let's sure do it. Um, I said, let us. I didn't say you need to do it. I said, let us do it. So, um, anyway, let's go to the first slide this morning. Uh, just in, by way of review, the, uh, we looked at the prologue in chapter 1. Last week we saw John's vision of the glorified Christ, amazing vision, uh, in all of his glory and power. Uh, in verse 19 of chapter 1, we're given the outline of the book. There's three divisions. The things that they have seen, John had seen. That was the, the vision of Jesus. The things that are, that is the, uh, the church ages, and that's chapters 2 and 3. And then the things that will be hereafter, which is from chapter 4 onward. All of that is future, I do believe. And I think I'm standing on solid ground on that. So we have the outline of the book there. Now in verse 20 of chapter 1, we are given uh, the mystery is explained of the the seven lampstands and the seven stars. So we're not left to our own uh, imagination as to what these symbols mean. And that'll be the case throughout the book. And so the seven stars are the, uh, the angels or the messengers uh, of the churches. And then the lampstands are what? Seven churches, that's right. Now John is going to write about the things that are. That is the church age in chapters 2 and 3. Now, uh, tragically, <clears throat> this is one of the most neglected sections in the book of Revelation. Most of us are, are preoccupied with the futuristic section of the book, Mark of the Beast and One World Government and that kind of thing. And so this kind of doesn't get the, uh, the airplay that it should, I think. But it is probably the most relevant section for us because it applies directly to us right now. And so let's keep that in mind. And with that said, let's stand this morning and turn with me to uh, chapter 2 of Revelation. <clears throat> Verse 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil. You've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, 
which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Preacher Larry, would you pray for us this morning? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we realize that we ask in thy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so let's just get right into it. Um, verse 1 says, Unto the angel, we know that angel is the messenger or the, uh, the leader of that church, of Ephesus, right. And notice how he's described. Uh, the vision of chapter 1 is going to come into play throughout uh, the letters to the churches. And so here we see that to the church at Ephesus, we see the image of Jesus here. And he's holding what? The seven stars. And he's walking where? Among the churches. And that's, that's very uh, important, relevant, because we're going to see this church has left Jesus. But Jesus has not left them. Praise God. You know, if there's any distance in your relationship with God, it's not Him that ever moves. It's always us that made the move. And the good news is, uh, if you may be here today and you're away from God, all it takes is one move right back to the Father's house, and He will welcome you with open arms. He holds the seven stars, and He walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. He is in the middle of His church. We may leave Him. We may be uh, unfaithful at times, but God is faithful. He promised in His Word He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise be unto God. And when we take this communion, I want you to remember that, that you've got a friend in Jesus who will never leave you and who died for you, and who loves you with an everlasting love. Let's go to the first, uh, second slide. Good to see Will up there this morning. That's, that's, praise God. Getting some new blood up here. Training, so y'all pray for us. Good deal. I like that. Alright, what you see here is not the church at Ephesus. This is actually the temple of Artemis. Or Diana, the Romans call it. The Diana. This was the predominant cult in Ephesus. And there was a grotesque statue of Diana that people worshipped. And I didn't put it up there because I thought it might not be appropriate in mixed company. But just a few things about Ephesus. This church was founded basically by Paul. Paul spent three years there. He actually taught for two years in a school uh, called the School of Tyrannus. You can read about it in Acts 18 through 20. I encourage you to do that, to do your own independent study as you're going through these churches. And you can read about the history there. Uh, this was a thriving church. This was a booming church, probably the, the mother church of all the other uh, six churches. Uh, because the Bible says from there, uh, all of Asia heard the word of God. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, they, uh, they had good leaders. You know, Paul was there for three years. Uh, Timothy served as bishop there. And uh, scholars believe that John, he left Jerusalem before the destruction of the temple, and he served there uh, for a number of years. He was the bishop in uh, uh, Ephesus in that region. And that makes sense, you know, because when John greets the people in the letter of Revelation, all he says is, I, John. He doesn't say, I'm the son of Zebedee, I'm the apostle. You know, I'm the, he just says, hey, I'm John. So they all knew who he was because he was the last living apostle. So uh, there was no lack of uh, good leadership 
there. You know, that just goes to show you that you can have the perfect pastor and still have problems. You know, and, uh, and I didn't say that in defense of myself or anything. <laughs> I, I just, I just as a general rule of principle. Because it's kind of like when the football team has a problem, what do they always do? They fire the coach, don't they? So, uh, but anyway, enough of that stuff. Paul writes to a thriving church in the, the letter to the Ephesians. Now, that's important because the date of Revelation's writing is a later date. When Paul writes to Ephesus, they haven't left their first love. They are, uh, Paul, Paul brags about their love when he writes uh, to them. All right, now we get to verse 2. And this is the, uh, the commendation. You know, Jesus has some good things to say about this church. He says, I know your works. Now, the word for know here means total knowledge. He didn't come to know it. He knows everything. You know, God knows everything. Amen. Now, this is, a, this is the good part of the letter. He's going to brag on them. So, let me encourage you. If you do anything for the Lord, I don't care how big or how small it is, God knows about it. I don't care if it's picking up a piece of trash on the floor or cleaning the toilet in the church or whatever. Helping with seemingly the most, holding a door for somebody. Seemingly the most menial, insignificant things like giving a cup of cold water to somebody. Jesus knows every good thing that you've ever done for him. He's got a record. And that's why we don't have to worry about being acknowledged. I don't, I don't have to have an attaboy. It's good to have him. But I, don't, I, I know that God's got a, he's got a perfect record of every good thing that I've done. He says, your works, um, I know your labor and your patience. That's that Greek word, hupomone, which means bearing up under difficult circumstances. And how you can't bear them that are evil. And you've tried them which say they are apostles and are not. So they had discernment. And you have found them to be liars. You know Jesus called these people liars? Some people think Jesus is just this bamby-pamby, weak guy who's afraid to call a spade. But he, if, if somebody's a liar, he calls them a liar. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't like that. I felt a resistance in that. But that's okay, I'm going to preach it anyway. Because that's what the Bible says. Jesus said they're liars. And notice, they call themselves apostles. They say they are. That's always the mark of a false teacher. They're always bragging about, you know, their accolades. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. So be very careful. Whenever somebody claims to be an apostle, that ought to be a red flag to you. When everybody, somebody claims to be a prophet, that ought to be a red flag to you. You know, so um, let's go to the next slide. Now, verse 3 says that for his name's sake, they had labored. Now, the word for labor here also is translated toil. It means to labor to the point of exhaustion. This is not a lazy church. They were busy. And they were busy doing things for the name of Jesus. Make note of that. In my name. So, they're doing all, everything right. But if you contrast them with the Thessalonians. I put 1 Thessalonians 1.3. And notice, Paul remembers the Thessalonians in 1.3. They had labor, work, 
and patience, but it was a labor of love. The faith, hope, and love. That's Paul's trinity there. Those things are absent from the church at Ephesus. They're busy, but something is terribly, terribly wrong there. Now we get to verse 4. And I'm reading out of the authorized, the King James. And it says, nevertheless, I have, if you got a KJV here, it says somewhat. And that somewhat is in italics. That means it was supplied by the translator. And it's kind of unfortunate because it gives you the idea that it's a little thing. Because when I say somewhat, um, I don't usually mean it's something big, right? I mean, I might say I'm feeling somewhat ill today. And it means I'm feeling a little bit ill, not totally ill. But here Jesus is not saying, I have a little bitty thing against you. It's just a little something. It's not a big deal. This is a huge deal. He says, I have this against you. Go to, let's go to the next slide. Let's go to the next one. All right. <clears throat> Now, notice it doesn't say they lost their love. It says they left. Is that what your Bible says? You've left your first love. Now, I was interested about this, and I did a little research on the word for left here. It's the word aphiomi in Greek. I like to give you a little bit of Greek every week in small doses. Greek in small doses, right? Not because we're not in seminary. Let's all say that together. Aphiomi. Let's say it. Aphiomi. All right. You go tell all your friends you spoke Greek today in church. Okay. The word aphiomi, notice how it's translated in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 11 through 13. It's translated put away, put her away, and in verse 13, leave. This is the same language of a husband or a wife divorcing their husband. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And Jesus said, this is what this church had done. They had left their first love. Uh, I don't, for sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. But maybe read Jeremiah 2 sometime, and you'll see in the Old Testament how God's people had left him. That's our pattern, by the way. The pattern of human beings is that God blesses them, and things go well, and we forget about God. And we get lukewarm and we get cold. And God has to wake us up. And, and that's just human nature. That's unfortunate. But that's just how it goes. Is we, we often, uh, by, by default, we grow cold if we're not careful. Now you say, well, how could this happen? I mean, after all, this is the church that Timothy and John pastored. How, how in the world could something like this happen to that church? And I would say to you, it could happen very easily. Um. Let's go to the next slide. Man, we're just rolling through these this morning. Go with me now to Luke chapter 10. I, I think this story probably illustrates it better than any narrative.
All right, do we have any volunteers? I'm going to nominate uh, Adam. You got your glasses on today? I'll try. <laughs> right. I got the big print. You know, the older I get, the more I'm a fan of giant print Bibles. Anybody know what I mean? <laughs> Praise God. Thank God. So let's uh, read Luke 10. Let's read this story from 38 to 42. Read the rest of the chapter. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Oh, thank you. Uh, classic story. Martha is busy serving. Now, Martha kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. Uh, and she's, she's not the hero in this particular narrative, for sure. Uh, but I do thank God for Martha. Without Martha's, nothing ever gets done in the church. <laughs> um, so I thank God for the Marthas that are willing to serve, okay? But in, in uh, her, her error at this point is that uh, she was so busy, she had not chosen that part which was most needful, and Mary had. Now, Marys are always going to rub Martha the wrong way. Uh, I see it in church all the time. Uh, people who are type A, get her done kind of people, they're frustrated by Marys. You know, and and you, you know who you are, and I don't need to point you out. Uh, and Marys are frustrated with Martha's because Martha's always want you to be involved and want you to be doing something. And Mary says, no, I've got to spend time and, and worship. But I'll say this, um, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of Mary uh, in, the, in the story. The devil will be content. Let me just put myself here. I'm not going to put you in this story. I'll put myself here. The devil would love for me to study 100 hours a week for my sermon, uh, memorize the original languages verbatim, make 20 visits to the hospital and 10 to the nursing home, and not spend a minute in prayer with him. The devil would love for me to do that kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you this. If you don't spend any time with God, your ministry is very uh, impotent. If you're little with God, you'll be little for God. And Mary chose that. And so I have to be mindful because I am, and Lori will tell you, it's hard for me to turn it off. I'm always working. I'm always thinking. I wake up thinking about Greek. I'm, you know, I was, I'm speaking Greek and while we're eating supper. And Lori says, what are you talking about over there? And I'm just... And it's hard for me to turn it off, but I have to understand that in order for me to be successful in ministry, I have to spend time with the Lord. I have to praise Him. I had to worship Him. And I have to read the Bible, not to get a sermon, but so that I can get a daily devotional uh, building of myself. And that's the trap of the preacher. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but... 
Um, Paul had rebuked this church. You know, this was a very gifted church. Had gift of tongues, prophecy, knowledge, and all that. But they didn't have love. And Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love or charity, it, uh, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. All it is is noise. I didn't know what that was going to sound like, so it was totally unscripted. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, well, that's a good thing, isn't it, right? Give, all, give everything to the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, sacrifice, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. It's worthless. All of your ministry, if it's not motivated by love, it's worthless. I didn't say it, God did. If, we, if what we do doesn't flow out of love, it's worthless. So we need to make sure that we are motivated by love. Everything we do. If we have a breakfast, like we did this morning, and I hate I missed it, I, know, I heard it was real good. If our motivation is not love, then all we, did, all we had was breakfast. But I guarantee you, how many of y'all enjoyed the breakfast this morning? And it wasn't just the food, right? It was the fellowship and the love and the Word of God being taught. There's just something about it. And I didn't plan for me to be preaching this sermon while we're doing communion, but just how seamless is the Holy Spirit and His sovereignty that here we are talking about love and we're about to gather around this table and celebrate the greatest love of all, of Jesus, and the love that we have for one another. Jesus says in John 13, 35, He says, By this, shall all men know that you're my disciples. He didn't say if you speak in tongues or if you cast out demons. He said if you love, if you have love one to another. Now look at Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. This, this verse keeps me up at night. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, not few, but many, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Remember the works that Ephesians were doing? It was in my name. And in your name, we've cast out devils. And in your name, we did many wonderful works. And then Jesus will say unto them, I never knew you. No relationship. No love. Depart from me. That's tragic. Now thank God, let's get back to Revelation chapter 2. Thank God that when the word of God cuts us deep, Jesus doesn't leave us just to bleed to death. Amen? So, let's talk about the remedy. Let's go to the next slide. There's only a few more. For those of you that like alliteration, I gave you three points with the letter R. The first step to get back to the first love is to remember. He says, remember from where you've fallen. This church has fallen. 
Now, in, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, they were seated in heavenly places. They were in good shape. But now, they've fallen. And they have to remember. The first step in getting back right with the Lord is to remember. Remember. How many of you here that are Christians remember what it felt like when you first got saved? I want you to remember that when we come to this table. Remember what it felt like when you knew that your sins were forgiven. And you knew that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And that you, were going, you had eternal life, you're going to spend eternity with God. Remember how that felt? Now some of you don't remember how that felt because you've not been saved yet. The good news is you can be saved today. And don't let anybody stand in your way. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. I don't care if you've been in this church for 50 years or 60 years. Today's your day of salvation. We'll rejoice with you. Remember. You know, this is, the same, this is true in a, uh, a relationship too, in a marriage. It's a shame that I do most of my marriage counseling. I do it on the, the premarital side. When it don't matter what I say to them, they're going to get married anyway. Some of y'all in here, I've counseled some of you. And you know what my strategy is. I try to talk you out of it if I can. Not because marriage is not a wonderful institution, but I want you to know that you're in it for the long haul. That this is not taking something for a test drive. But invariably, every couple that I ever counsel, and I talk about, you know, dirty dishes and bills and all that stuff, and all that stuff that drives married couples crazy. And they say, oh, I don't care. I just love them so much. <laughs> Preacher, we just love each other so much. Even when he burps, I love the smell of his breath. It's just... <laughs> you know, little Amanda over here, she, sweet little Amanda, James' wife. A few days ago, I came in here and it was cold outside. And I said, Amanda, it's so cold out here, I can see my breath. She said, well, that's funny, I can smell it. <laughs> and y'all think she's so nice. <laughs> but anyway. And she didn't think it smelled like honey. You know, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I, you know, I'm counseling on the front end and everything's honey and roses and whatever. And then I'm counseling on the back end. Where everybody's cold and lifeless, and, and that's scary. You know when a couple comes into my office fighting with each other? I'm encouraged by that, because that tells me there's hope. But when they're sitting in there stone cold, and you can tell they don't care, I'm thinking, man, this thing's over. It's going to take a resurrection to get, to get past this. But remember, husbands, remember what it was like. Remember what it was like to date your wife. Don't stop dating her. Don't stop. Remember what that felt like. Remember when you couldn't wait for them to come home. Remember when you couldn't wait to get a phone call or a text or a letter from them. Remember that, that feeling. The next thing to do is to repent. That's, that word in the Greek, the simplest definition for repent is to change your mind. You know? Just say, you know what, God? I've been going the wrong way. And it's time for a change. It's that simple. Now the biblical idea of repentance is that the change of mind results in a change of action. The third is repeat. 
Or Jesus says it this way, do the first works. But that didn't fit with my alliteration, so I put repeat. <laughs> uh, but listen to Jesus, don't listen to me. Amen? Okay. Uh, Jesus says, do what you were doing at first. Okay? Are you having trouble in your relationship? You know what happens a lot of times? Is we get so busy with life that we don't do what we did when we fell in love with that person. Little acts of kindness. And those of you who have counseled with me, you know that I take you through the love languages. And everybody's got a different love language. Uh, we, we give and receive love in different ways. And I want to challenge you to find that way to communicate love to your, your spouse. Uh, because a lot of times we love each other, but we're not speaking the same language. And that's, that's the issue. But go back and do. Now, what about with the Lord? Go back and do the things when you first got saved. What were you doing? I guarantee you, you're reading your Bible. When I got saved, man, I couldn't wait to go to church. I couldn't wait to hear the Bible preached. I couldn't wait to read my Bible. I prayed. I didn't know how to pray, but I wanted to pray. And get back to doing those things. And what you'll find as you do them is that it, it will move from duty to delight. What happens far too often is we go from delight to duty. And we're reading the Bible because we have to. Well, I made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. By the way, how are you doing with that? Don't, you, know, you don't have to answer me. But um, you need to be reading the Bible. But it needs to be joyful. And the more you do it, if you'll do it with the right attitude, it will be. And you'll be amazed at what God will show you in the Word. There's nothing greater than for God to show you something in the Bible and, and the Holy Spirit just to quicken it uh, to you. But go back and do what you were doing uh, when you fell in love. But a point I wanted to make with this is don't wait for your feelings. You know? I, I've heard this mess so much it just makes me want to vomit when I'm counseling, a couples, uh, counseling couples. And they say to me, well, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. If I had a dime for every time I've heard somebody say, that's how every affair gets started, okay? I'm telling you the truth. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. Is that people say, well, I love my spouse. I'm just not in love with them anymore. And I want to say to you that in your relationship with God and with your, your spouse or, or whoever, your, um, your family member or whatever, love is not a feeling. In the Bible, love's always an action, Read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love lies within the will. And we've muddied up the word love so much that when we think love, we think about feelings, butterflies. And no, your feelings will follow. And you'll be amazed. When you go back and do the first works, you'll be amazed at how that love for Jesus is going to come alive again. Now, there's a threat at the end of verse 5. Jesus says, if you don't repent, he says, I'm coming quickly. In the Greek, it's, he's already on his way. I'm coming to you quickly, and I'll remove your what? Candlestick or your lampstand, unless you repent. Now, what is the lampstand? It's the church, right? It's the church. You know, if you go to Ephesus right now, you won't find a church there. 
lampstands removed. You know what you will find over in modern day Turkey? Mosques. Islam is the growing religion, the dominant religion over there. And we all know, don't we? I mean, we all know uh, of churches. Think about Europe. Think about where the Great Awakening, you know, and Spurgeon and all that. You go over to the churches in Europe, they're museums. There may be a few people in them. The lampstand's been removed. We can look at our own community, can't we? You don't have to drive very far. And you can look and you say, I remember that used to be a thriving church. Are y'all listening to me? It hits home, doesn't it? it? Because if we're not careful, if we leave our first love, God will remove the lampstand. He will. And I can see churches all over this place that used to be really on fire for God, used to really do a work, and now they're struggling to keep the doors open. Who moved? Did God move? No. All right. Next slide. There's only two more. <laughs> In verse 6, Jesus says, You've got this going for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, they're only mentioned in the book of Revelation. So, I'm going to table the discussion on the Nicolaitans until we get to the church at Pergamum, because they're going to crop up again. Uh, I'm going to table the discussion on them, but I, I want to draw out a principle here. <laughs> Here's the ironic thing for the church at Ephesus. They had lost their love. They had left their love, but they'd held on to their hate. You see that? There's a lot of churches that their identity is all about what they're against. I remember my pastor, when he, when, I was, when he was growing up, and he was the son of a preacher. Uh, and he said, growing up in the parsonage, people would ask him, say, what do y'all believe in your church? And he would say, well, we don't believe in smoking. We don't believe in drinking. And we don't believe in dancing. And we don't believe in going to picture shows. That's what they called them back then. Movie, you know them as movies. <laughs> we don't go to pictures. And all, and all he knew is what they didn't believe in. They said, well, what do you believe in? He said, well, I don't rightly know. He grew up in the parsonage, you know. And it's not hard to be against something. I mean, I can, I can get people, I can rally a true, uh, uh, you know, get a big group to be against something. That's not hard. It's not just about what you're against, it's what you're for, you see. They were against, now notice Jesus said, I hate is that what your Bible says in verse 6? He said, I hate, their, I hate their deeds. Now, Jesus didn't say, I hate them. Now, we live in a culture that says, if you don't agree and affirm all of my decisions, then you hate me. And that's not true at all. Jesus didn't hate them. He hated their deeds. I can hate the sin and love the sinner. I can. And anybody that says otherwise is just not rational. It's not rational. I can hate the sin and love the sinner. And I have to. Because the truth is, every one of us in this room, we're sinners. Saved by grace. Now, they might sin differently than I do. But sin is sin. And... It's not enough for me to just hate sin. I have to love Jesus. And I've also got to love that sinner. 
You know what? People can feel. People can feel. And I'm afraid far too often we Christians, believers, we come across so mean-spirited and hateful that people don't want to listen to us. Because they sense that deep down that our, our uh, preaching is not motivated by love. If my motivation is not love, it's sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I have to love that person and want to see them changed for their benefit, for their good. By the way, this is typical of a church that loses its first love. They get real angry and mean-spirited. Remember when David was living in sin? Remember that? And Nathan the prophet came to him? Remember how mean-spirited David was? David said, this guy ought to be put to death, basically. And what did Nathan say to him? You're the guy. All right, let's go to the last. Yes, I did say last slide. Verse 7, he that hath an ear. Now the message is not just to the church as a whole, but to the individual. I don't know. Uh, if God is going to send revival to, a, to any particular church. But I know that for me personally, I can have revival if I will just yield myself to the Lord. And I'll love Him. You want to be revived? You can be revived. He that has an ear. Now I think we've all got earlobes in here. So he's not talking about our physical ear. He's talking about our spiritual ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Notice it's Plural. Every individual needs to listen to all the messages to all seven churches. Now, Jesus has been talking. If you've got a, a red-letter Bible, the words have been in red, right? But yet, he says, let him hear what the Spirit says. So, Jesus and the Spirit are uh, both God. This is a reference to the Trinity here. There's a promise made to the overcomer. And we talked about this Wednesday night. I would encourage you uh, to look at our YouTube video from last Wednesday because I covered who the overcomers are. And the overcomers are those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are truly saved. First uh, John uh, bears that out. And uh, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Look at the promise. To him that overcomes, he's going to get to partake of something really special. Tree of life. Where have we seen the tree of life before? Garden of Eden. If you don't read the Old Testament, you've got no concept of what the tree of life is. Real brief summary here. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They were driven out. There were two major trees there the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. And that shows me, too, that even in paradise, the tree of life shows that even in paradise, man is not independent of God. You know. And they sinned, and when they sinned, they were banished from the garden, and they were also banished from the tree of life. Now, this was actually God's mercy, because He didn't want them to live forever in a fallen state. That was actually God's mercy. But they have been 
denied access to the tree of life. And then it vanishes. But Jesus said it's still there. The tree of life is still alive and well. And the one who ever comes will have access to the tree of life. You'll find it again at the end of the book of Revelation. I encourage you to read about that. But the thing that's so precious about the tree of life is I picture in my mind's eye, I picture that this is where Adam met with God when they walked in the cool of the day together. And they had unbroken, unbridled fellowship. Here Jesus stands. Uh, he's got the seven stars in his hand. And he walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. And I think Jesus is saying here, Come to me, let's have fellowship once more. You know, there was another tree about 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha. And that tree made it possible for you and I to have fellowship with our Creator. On that tree, Jesus Christ died for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the whole world. Would you stand? After the invitation, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper and celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I want us to examine ourselves. Is there anything in our life that's displeasing to God? The Holy Spirit will surely reveal that to you and to me. Is there an attitude of sin in our life? Sin is not just action. It could be attitude. Is there bitterness and unforgiveness there? Is there someone that you need to forgive from your heart? And you say, well, I don't feel like forgiving them. I believe that forgiveness is just like love. It's a matter of the will. I choose to forgive, even if I don't feel like it. Even if they never change. Even if they don't accept my apology. Even if they don't even know they've done anything wrong, I choose to forgive. I choose to be free. If I've got known sin in my life, unconfessed sin, let's confess that to God, whether you're at, at your pew or here in the altar, wherever it is. But let's come to this Lord's table with a clean heart, with clean hands, with ears that are sanctified and eyes. We've all seen things we shouldn't see. We've heard things we shouldn't hear. We've said things we shouldn't say. Our hands have handled things they shouldn't handle. Our feet have carried us places they shouldn't have gone. Why don't we just submit all of those things to the Lord in this moment and understand that He did. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world. Do you realize that the cross was, was motivated completely by love? Completely by love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I invite you to come this morning.